Hey everybody, it's your Dutch friend Jan and you are listening to the Creator Smarts Podcast. This is episode 136 and in today's episode we are talking to Sam Carey from New Attack Classroom and that's a YouTube channel. But two years ago, Sam was still working at the school where he consulted, um, where he basically helped teachers to become Uh, to utilize technology to become better teachers. And two years ago, when COVID started, he decided to go online. And within two years, he managed to grow a really, well, substantial audience. Went from zero to 200,000 subscribers on YouTube and also managed to turn the channel into a business after just a year. So in today's interview, we're going to learn about Sam's story um, we're also going to talk about how to how you can improve the completion rates of your courses. So if you're a course creator, um, yeah, that's going to be useful for you. We're also going to talk about the future of online education. I hope you're going to like it. Here's my interview with Sam. This is the Create the Smarts podcast where you will learn to leverage your online following into a profitable, future-proof education business that you control without being at the mercy of sponsors or algorithm changes. Each week we interview the world's leading creators to find out what strategies they use to diversify, stabilize and grow their businesses. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey Sam, welcome to the Creator Smarts Podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. My name is Sam Carey. I am a former classroom teacher uh, in public schools in the United States. I taught uh, for 10 years and during that time was a teacher educator as well. So I was an instructional coach and uh, planned and ran professional development. So part of my role was to also teach adults about teaching. And during that time, I decided to start a YouTube channel to reach more teachers, to uh, be able to teach teachers all around the world about some of the stuff that we were working on, specifically about how to teach with technology. And now I run a business called New Ed Tech Classroom, and that's what we do. We essentially teach teachers how to teach with technology um, and how to build 21st century classrooms. So we're trying to help uh, school systems around the world modernize, and uh, we show teachers how to do that. Yeah. Well. So why did you why did you get started on YouTube? Yeah, it's a great question. So there are a lot of people in my space who do ed tech work. And traditionally, the folks that um, say I learned from, for example, are people that present live at conferences, they might uh, have written a book, they will come do in person professional development, sometimes do things like a webinar. Um, and I really saw YouTube at the time, this was a little over two years ago, like about two and a half years ago, pre pandemic, before everybody decided to start a YouTube channel. Um, I saw YouTube as a pretty wide open space for, uh, people like myself who wanted to show people how to teach with technology. And, um, you know, although I love learning from reading a book, it's, to me, so much more actionable yeah. uh, and if you can see it done. So a lot of what we do on the YouTube channel is screencast and show what's actually happening on your screen. And I felt like YouTube was just the perfect medium to be able to provide people with a highly visual 
model for how to do this stuff. So you didn't have to kind of go through the mental step of trying to visualize what it would look like. It was actually just there shown to you. Yeah. So you teach teachers essentially how to utilize technology to become a better teacher. Um, can you give a few examples of, of of how you do that or how those teachers, what kind of software that you um, sure. well, that you teach? Yeah, so it's predominantly software. It's, it's oftentimes when, when we hear teaching with technology, we're thinking about a computer science class where students are, say, doing coding or robotics or sort of traditional stuff with technology. We do some of that on the channel as well. But when I'm talking about helping teachers improve practices with technology, it's primarily through using software and specifically software that's designed for education. So to give some examples, one thing that we teach teachers how to do is how to create asynchronous lessons. Um, so how to video record yourself using software and then essentially multiply your voice across the classroom so that you're not creating a classroom where students just have to pay attention to you in front of the room. We're creating a classroom where you can actually uh, take yourself and remove yourself from sort of the center of the classroom and instead have students working at their own pace, which opens up your time and space. So uh, that's, you know, a practice called flipping your classroom. It's an in-classroom flipping your classroom if you're doing it uh, where it's all happening in person. So that's one example of a strategy that we would show teachers how to do. Uh, another really common one is just how to use technology tools to get 100% participation from students or create an environment of 100% uh, participation. So instead of a traditional lecture or even a traditional lecture with a technology tool like say Google Slides, we're gonna show teachers how to use an add-on like Pear Deck or a third-party program like Nearpod to give some examples to take what you would normally just present and deliver as information yeah. to students and actually have them giving you feedback uh, ongoing throughout a lesson. And then another big part of what we do on the channel is show teachers how to get students to actually create and do things with technology so that rather than asking students to do something that's more kind of traditional, like writing an essay or taking a test, they're showing their knowledge through creating a podcast or a graphic design or a video or something like that. And that that can happen even if you aren't the computer science teacher, that there are ways you can integrate creating with technology across the subjects and across grade levels. Yeah, because if we think about online teaching, I mean, since COVID, I guess the company Zoom has grown a lot, right? We all think about Zoom. Um, how good is Zoom in, in, in your opinion? Yeah, so a couple of things. I think one is that we really try to designate, uh, clearly kind of draw a line between teaching with technology and online teaching. So they aren't necessarily the same thing in the same way that if it's, I think, a really easy analogy to understand if you think about working, you know, if you work online, then that's where work is taking place. Maybe all of your meetings are happening online. You're essentially working from home, but you are online doing work. But when you go back to a physical workplace or if you are in a physical workplace in a building where you're working with your colleagues in a cubicle next to you, you would still be working with technology. You are still using a computer in front of you, right? So oftentimes there's a conflation of these two ideas like 
online learning and teaching with technology, they are not necessarily the same thing. Mm -hmm. We do make content. Uh, actually, the, the entire channel started as a teaching with technology channel. I was never an online teacher per se until COVID happened. Mm -hmm. We did make resources for teachers to utilize these technology tools to improve your online instruction because uh, you're right, Zoom, for example, is not an instructional tool. Zoom is just a location. It is a place where you could go to meet. So in that sense, it is online. It is an, I would even call it just an online kind of digital classroom of sorts. Um, it's an online space where you're meeting. It's just video conferencing software, but it's not instructional technology. So to me, uh, teaching via Zoom is not teaching with technology. Um, it's sure a technology tool, but that's not what we're getting at when we say teaching with technology to build a 21st century classroom. Yeah, all right. Well, we'd love to learn more about how we can build a 21st century classroom and how to make digital courses more engaging. Um, you know, we'd love to hear more about software that can help facilitate group lessons, make them more engaging. Um, before we talk about that, maybe first a quick recap of how you got started in YouTube. So when exactly did you start on YouTube? Uh, we got started on YouTube in 2019. Uh, first video that I published was September of 2019. September 2019. And you have a channel, I think it's over. You're hitting 200,000 subscribers, right? Yeah, I think we're around 190,000 subs right now. Do you think that COVID has helped your, your channel grow? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Prior to the pandemic, I was creating videos about how to teach with technology that not a lot of people were paying all that much attention to, um, which is typical also for YouTube. But we had a huge boom in traffic once the pandemic happened. A lot of people wanted to learn how to use these tools that I had already created material about. And then I did start creating material that was specifically about how we can improve practices for remote teaching. Mm. When do you see traction from the beginning or did it take some time for YouTube? Oh, no, it to, definitely took. Yeah. Definitely took time. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, uh, we did not get traction immediately. And that's totally typical for for YouTube. I think we actually um, got lucky in many ways that we got traction early. You hear plenty of stories about people that are creating content for a year plus and really not getting much traction. It's a long term play. It's a saturated market and a difficult medium. They say by far the hardest social media platform to break into so uh, um yeah we we didn't get traction right away and i think we're lucky to get traction as soon as we did which was about six months or so in yeah and what was the vision at the time was this just uh, the youtube channel was it just a hobby or were you, were you ambitious about it and we were really planning to turn it into a business one day I thought of it as a side hustle at the time. It definitely was not something I was doing just for a hobby. It was something that I was doing to make some additional income. Teachers don't make a lot of money in the United States, and I needed to make some more money. Um, and so I wasn't thinking, though, that it was going to bring me any kind of income anytime soon. I really just wanted to build my presence online and, um, you know, kind of build my personal brand. And I, I wasn't sure where that would lead me, if that would lead me to just maybe a different role, potentially at a school district or some 
speaking gigs, things like that. I did not anticipate that it was going to enable me to be able to uh, do my business full time, essentially a year and a half later or so. So was that the moment, like one and a half year later, was that when you realized that you had a that you had a business or something that had a potential to become a business? When do you when do you see that potential? Yeah, and actually it was a year. So it was almost exactly a year after I started that we became an official business, as in you have your official paperwork and things like that and start actually making money. So I didn't really make any money uh, just essentially investing my own money because it costs money to do things, you know, to produce content and start to set things up online. And uh, so, yeah, it was about a year and it really wasn't until I created a product and, and saw how the content marketing piece, what I was putting up on YouTube could lead to selling a product. And that's essentially what you have to do to run a business. And so that's what enabled me to do, you know, to have a business. It wouldn't have been a business had it just been content marketing. So how do you decide on what product to create first? Because, you know, you build this audience. um, People want different things, right? Was it easy for you to figure out what to offer first? At the time, I... I had been planning to uh, create an online course for a while that was a comprehensive look at how you build a 21st century classroom. It's called the 21st century classroom. And I, I definitely knew just from my own experience in the classroom, my own experience working with teachers in paying attention to what people were asking for in the comments that mm. it would be helpful for people to not just have disparate pieces of information but to provide people with a framework with a guide for how to actually move through it in a structured way and that's the guidance that a lot of people give about you know how you basically take content that you create and monetize it that oftentimes it's not necessarily that you're going and creating all this other new content i mean yes we did create new course content but a lot of the content could be found in sort of pieces on the channel but what you're providing through an online course is a structured way to actually go through that content and that would be very challenging to do if you're just kind of hunting around on somebody's blog or youtube channel so it was when i realized that people could really benefit from that and needed that kind of more comprehensive look uh, structured approach that i realized that i could turn it into a business yeah have you ever properly studied online marketing and creating courses email marketing or is this are these all things that you learned on the go all things that i learned on the go so i didn't know anything about running a business at the time and actually that's what i have to spend most of my time doing now and what i've spent most of my time in the sense of my extended learning time Um, Because I think it's still really important to continually learn, particularly in the entrepreneur space. Um, And so, yeah, for the last, I'd say especially last year and a half or so, I've basically gotten a crash course in how to run a business. So I've had to learn how to build email funnels and, and how to do content marketing and things like that. And I didn't know anything about that initially. Yeah, so what what platform do you use for for your online courses? We work with a lot of people that work with Teachable or Thinkific. Um, I mean, you 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 essentially teach uh, software, right? How to use the software for teachers? What what are some of the platforms that you 
use or that you would uh, recommend to people who want to build an online course? Yeah. So, uh, also just to be clear, we, so I do have courses. I have a course on Kajabi. I have some courses on Thinkific, okay. <laughs> which is not ideal that we have them split in different places. And we're actually working on building out material in another place too. But, um, I, I don't teach people how to use those platforms. So when I teach K-12 educators, we have our own learning management systems that are in the K-12 educational space. So I'm showing people how to use Mm -hmm. programs like Google Classroom. I'm not ever teaching teachers how to use Kajabi or Thinkific or anything like that. But I do host my courses on those. Um, But like I said, we are also going to be moving elsewhere. Yeah. So, I mean, creating an online course is one thing, right? But then actually making sure that your students are going through it, that you have a good completion rate, that's that's another thing. How can we make courses or just teaching in general more engaging? Any tips for that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think those are, those are two big questions. Yeah. I could talk for hours about how to make teaching more engaging. Um, I think if we're looking specifically at lesson design and course construction, there are important things to keep in mind. And and these also know are not things that we did right off the bat. I mean, the first course that I created the 21st century classroom, although it is uh, an incredibly comprehensive course for learning how to build a 21st century classroom, it's also quite dense. There's a lot of material in it. It would take a person a, a very long time to go through all of it. And I think wasn't actually created initially with that idea of how do you build something so that it's incredibly engaging and and so that people are actually able to complete it. So I think sometimes it takes actually making one or two or three before you kind of understand how to do it uh, the yeah. right way. Hmm. The the next iteration of courses that we created, we um, really tried to abide by our own practices or, or at least what we preach to teachers about what they should do. So we took a lot of the course content. Now, th- these are courses, uh, different courses now that we have that are available in Thinkific, um, and they're smaller courses. We tried to one, take content and break it up into much smaller pieces so we had more of a sense of how long a particular lesson should be that it shouldn't be this long thing that's droning on forever and ever you know my first course i had very long lessons that where i would hyperlink out to all this other stuff and instead of doing that look at how you can break it into much smaller pieces and then how you can vary it so there might be a a piece of video content but then there might be a piece of audio content then there's going to be some text content then there's going to be a pdf file or something like that so that's one is just taking something and figuring out how can you take something that might have before been like a 15 minute long just video and take it and break it into potentially even 10 different pieces and switch the type of media that you're using. Mm-hmm. Then we also ran our videos through H5P so that they would be interactive, um, which is something we would tell every teacher as like a baseline. You need to be making your material interactive so that people can interact. They can see, did I get the key idea? So you're really identifying what are key points that I want to make here. And then you're going to 
upload your video into an interactivity platform like H5P and you're going to add interactive questions to it so that people can answer those questions. And H5P has other things like drag and drop activities, different ways that you can build these little check for understandings into your content. Um, H5P, we also, is, is, is that the name of the software? Yes, yeah, H5P. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is you create a video and then you can stop the video, ask a question, wait for the student to answer the question and then it continues or how does that work? That's correct. Yeah. So in the instructional technology space, if people are familiar with uh, Edpuzzle mm-hmm. or even some of the features in Nearpod where you can add interactive questions, now you can do that also with Screencastify uh, with the... the um, uh, Google Chrome extension. All yeah. those also allow you to add interactive questions. And typically this was used in the K-12 educational space, but H5P is just a little bit more wide open in that it'll give you an HTML code so you can embed it oh, in different okay. places. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So you can then actually then publish that on your course on, on Teachable on Kajabi or uh, Correct. Thinkific. Yes. Are you also doing that for your own yeah. courses? Yes. All right. So we need to make sure that lessons are not too long. Uh, we need to make sure that there is a variation between videos, PDFs, audio, um, maybe some quizzes, right? Um, yes. This H5P thing that you just mentioned this is really interesting. Going to check that out. Anything else that we can do? What, what about adding live elements, for example? Yeah, well, before the, the live piece, I would say also looking at how you can just make the presentation of material more interesting. I'm still pretty mind blown when I see all these pretty boring like PowerPoint presentations. You know, there's really no reason for that. I mean, if you build a presentation in Canva or in a program like Genially, both of those are going to pretty much upgrade the quality of your presentation tenfold because they'll have like a little animation coming in, things like that. So we also took material and rather than having it just be like a line of text flying in or something that still kind of looks like it, you know, was done in the eighties, we're building presentations so that that they have these really cool transitions, not the just kind of typical, like, like text flies in or something, uh, really cool transitions, animations, things like that. We also edit ours in the same way we do some of our videos so that, were um and this this takes more time and money for sure but we're um still using screen call outs for example so if we're going to show something on a screencast we're still running it through ScreenFlow, which is the program we use to create our video tutorials we're adding arrows and zoom ups and things like that mm. so everything we're talking about is there it's still very visual it's still very clear this is what we're talking about there's kind of something happening every we basically have a rule of thumb like 30 seconds in a youtube video you should never be talking for more than 30 seconds and we try to take that concept and apply it to online courses as well uh and we do things like green screen ourselves on top of the course material and stuff like that which i mean not very many people are doing in the online course space i still like i said see tons of here's this PowerPoint and I'm just going to do some audio over it. And I think there are just so many tools available that can help you not do that, that um, there's no reason not to. Yeah. All right. What else? Life elements or other things that you want to mention before we start talking about the life elements? Yeah. I mean, so we 
personally, I think it differs depending on your space. We have experimented with live elements, Q and A's, mm-hmm. webinars that I will do that where we'll bring other people in. Yeah, that has I I think we could completely do away with that and have the same result in terms of people being interested. I, I don't see that as critical to the success of of a program. Uh, I, I do think some mechanism for people to get feedback and and converse with one another, which is actually why we're going to be moving into using a different platform. We're going to be moving our courses into Circle, which is a new yeah kind of hybridized version of Slack and Facebook um, because we've used Facebook groups and we don't like how you can't really organize the content, but with Slack, it's too much like a business. I mean, it's great for business, but it's not so great for community building because we want things where you can give people badges and give them access to different types of content based on what level they're at and allow them to create profiles and circle lets people also post multimedia in the responses so that if you build out say a lesson right there, they could post their response, you know, and they can actually like engage with everything in a single platform. So, um, I think that is more important, the ability for people to engage with community and ask for feedback, share work. That is more important than there's this live thing that happens at this particular time we just have never, for at least in our space, found that 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 is like the differentiator. Yeah, are there anything that we can do to keep the community, you know, in the in the group? It can be a Facebook group, it can be a community and circle um, to keep that community engaged. Like, do we need a community community manager that goes in every day and asks what's going on? If people are answering other people's questions, you do it yourself. Um, yeah, do you have any insights? What's what's working in the industry? Yeah, I, I, so I actually can't claim to to know uh, to be an expert at all in this regard, I, um, because we're still very much working on this too. We have an idea, yeah, but those ideas are really just at this point theoretical, um, and I don't I don't have the the evidence that would actually back any of it up. Of course, we have some some thoughts based on what's worked in Facebook groups or Slack communities, things like that. Um, and what hasn't worked Mm. and that doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to work though. Um, and you know, that is around giving people different types of access to different content based on their skill level and what they've achieved and allowing people as well to start to actually become owners of the community. So one of the things we're planning on for our, we, we have a product that's going to be released uh, early 2022 we're envisioning once people pass certain levels of certifications where they have to essentially prove that um, through a portfolio that they would share back with the rest of the community that they will be able to also pass a certification that allows them to start to manage the groups themselves Mm. so it's not necessarily like somebody who's external that we're having do that of course we're going to have to do that initially but it actually becomes something where you're kind of training your own people in a methodology and then those people end up being the people that uh you even start to pay like we're we're thinking and it's not necessarily going to be something we're just asking people to do for fun but we want we ourselves want to put our money where our mouth is to help 
pay back to the teaching community and um, give educators a, a way to make some additional money. So we're not exactly sure how that's going to work, but mm. we want to make that something where people would actually be compensated for it. So I think that, you know, is probably the most important thing, more important than all these kinds of features. And, you know, you can do all types of stuff that I think can sometimes actually end up having this inverse effect of seeming like there's so much, there's so many things like events and book clubs and all these different ways that people can engage that nobody can engage with all those. And so you yourself as the manager of that feel overwhelmed Mm. and then your community feels like they can't access all of it. So I think to us, what we're really going to try to drill down on uh, as being more important is how can we people get people to engage with sharing, giving each other feedback, sharing actual examples of their work, which was why it was important for us to have a platform where you could do it all in one place. And then really trying to make it so that the community is actually running itself and taking care of itself and it's community driven as opposed to kind of us like dictating all the stuff that's happening there. So is that a focus on all these different features? Probably better to actually spend time on improving that community absolutely or just improving the experience of the coursework that that you're creating i'm definitely in general going more in that direction of how can we really focus on improving one thing and doing one thing really great instead of how can you do like 10 or 12 different things yeah i guess then i have a broader question because especially during COVID. I mean, it's proven that we can learn online, right? Teachers can teach online. What do you think is the future of online learning and how important do you think it is that we still go to like a physical building um, with with other students, uh, that we still go to the classroom? Do you think that we can do everything online? Should we? I think for adults, yeah, I think if we're talking about online learning as this massive industry that is covering well beyond K-12, I mean, you and I are able to learn online as adults, right? So I think it is going to continue to be uh, even, or I'll rephrase that to say that um, online learning is not going away and is going to continue to grow as an industry and can adults that have a certain degree of of self-sufficiency ability to just manage your own learning experience you are self-driven you know can you go learn online absolutely i know because i have i learned how to run a business through online learning I learned how to start a YouTube channel and make videos and things like that, stuff that I didn't know how to do all through online learning. So it's definitely absolutely possible. Mm. Whether online learning should be the model for everybody, including children and teenagers, I think that's not ever going to be the case. There are obviously already uh, schools that are moving online or offering an online option. And so the online learning model is increasing in the K-12 space. It is not ever going to replace in-person learning nor, or I I mean, I don't want to predict the future, but I'm very skeptical that it will ever fully replace in-person learning, nor do I think it should fully replace it. And that's because school also offers 
young people a lot of other things. It's not yeah. just learning. They're also getting their social, you know, interactions. They are getting a learning experience where they're able to get feedback from a teacher potentially in a different way than you can get online as well. So I'm, there are all kinds of benefits to going in person. Hmm. What I do think is that in-person learning needs to be blended. And by blended, I don't necessarily mean that some of that happens while students are at home. Uh, what I mean is that all in-person learning also needs to incorporate technology because if you're not, then you're not using the most powerful tools available to you. And that education is not adequately preparing the people who are receiving the education for the world in which we all live. So to me, that's the more important um, question is how can we help for, for, for me in my space, you know, mm -hmm. how can we get people in the K-12 space to, to understand that even when you are in person, that teaching with technology is still critical and necessary and, that we don't have to create this false juxtaposition between teaching with technology and like online learning that it does if you even though online learning via zoom didn't work so well doesn't mean you don't still have students use computers at different points in your in-person hmm. school day uh well sam is there anything else that you want to share with our audience or teachers in general I think just to remember in the space of online learning, doesn't matter if you are teaching K-12 uh, students or if you are teaching adult learners, that actually a lot of the principles of just effective learning still apply. In fact, I'd argue all of them still apply. So if you are looking at how can you make learning more sticky for learners so that they actually retain it, more engaging, a very simple thing to do is how can, how can you take that and how can you make whatever it is that you're teaching interactive in some way? How can you be having your learners actively participate in a lesson, whether that's adding some check for understanding questions into a video you present or just using software that allows you to get feedback from students as you're presenting material, that that is just a critical foundational piece i think of all learning regardless of whether it takes place online or in person and technology can really help us do that so um you know it's not enough to just teach via zoom for example we still need to figure out ways to get people to be actively involved in the learning experience all right if we want to learn more about you and if we want to watch some of your videos and where can we go we're on YouTube at New Ed Tech Classroom. If you search New Ed Tech Classroom, you will definitely find us. And you can also find more about what we do and the community that I was talking about that we are building in Circle and our online learning platforms at our website, which is www.newedtechclassroom.com. All right, that was it for today. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you want more, then please give this podcast a positive review in well, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do and how we can maybe help you growing your creative business, then make sure to go to createsmarts.com. Ciao.